Namo Tessa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Namo Tessa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Namo Tessa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara so this is the uh, full moon night of November. We had our ceremony of uh, Padimoka, taking the precepts every fortnight. So this is a tradition, it's, but also this has a, I find it has very good effect over the years uh, of just having uh, this. When I first heard the Padimok, I remember, as a new monk, I, I was amazed at, at uh, somebody could memorize 227 rules and recite it like that, but then I was also critical of it. I thought, what's the point of it? Nobody knows what what he's saying. So I had a very Western, critical, kind of pragmatic attitude about, you should understand every word and, and uh, you know, have this kind of ideal, ide- idealistic views about it. <clears throat> and then over the past 42 years of Padimokas, it it's just uh, us, the ceremony that it's a sense of being together, the bhikkhus, and affirming this, this commitment to this discipline every fortnight. Whether everybody's commit, whether their mind's wandering and they're thinking about something else, or everybody's concentrated fully with the moment, this, not up to me to determine. <laughs> but this is what the ceremonies are, tradition, customs, that they, they, you know, it's not about individuals and uh, that, but the, about the, say, for monastic life, commitment to the holy life. <coughs> So then I used to think being a holy man, you know, when you think about yourself is a, you know, I always kind of get a bit uh, sarcastic and think, think of myself as a holy man. <laughs> that does seem like a inflated thing to proclaim holiness. But then, you know, on the ego level of of uh, you know the how how your ego functions, you know your personality, we see ourselves from very conditioned perspectives, uh, cultural conditions and personal attachments and tendencies and so forth influence we create the sense of ourselves, and then we you know we think of ourselves as holy or not holy or whatever is on that level of thinking of personality we can miss the point. The holy life, is it 
is am I trying to become a holy person? Or in the Buddhist uh, practice is seen through that whole sense of being, becoming anything at all. So say over the years, the 42 years of monastic life, you know, the aim is towards, not towards becoming a holy man or an enlightened person or an arahant or anything, but not being anything, not being anybody. Being empty. And, and, and being very simple, because emptiness, not being anybody, is very simple. As soon as you create yourself into a person, life becomes increasingly more complicated. So if I can see myself as a holy man, then, then that puts me in a position, if I don't see what I'm doing and I attach to that perception, then, I'm, then I have problems that are anything but holy. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> it's, uh, one just uh, it gets defensive or feels guilty or uh, self-critical or you're trying to prove, you know, you're trying to impress or, or, or try to force yourself to live up to some ideal of holiness. You know, the, direct approach of the Buddha is just to observe, be the observer. And so this is the Bhutto in this uh, tradition that we, we uh, use. This is, uh, this is the key word, the Bhutto practice. The being this observer, not being somebody who observes or somebody who is mindful uh, in that way, but just being it being the knowing here and now. And then the, then the, if you, you know, when you begin to appreciate this practice, then of course you, you know, the, the guilt complexes, the, the vanity, the, how your ego operates, your sense of superiority, inferiority, your, uh, uh, views and opinions that you hold to, your fears and desires are seen. It's, it's seen in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. <coughs> so that's, that's quite a, it's very simple, but remember that the the personality is complicated. The sense of oneself, one's identity, one's values. One can be very altruistic, uh, very idealistic, and and hold to beautiful principles, high standards of morality, and and grand visions of of compassion and loving kindness and and all the rest, and still, you know, even though these are beautiful, they are ideals that, um, that are created. It's not Dhamma yet to, to hold, to, to be attached to ideals. But to be aware of attachment to ideals, and that is the path itself. 
That's uh, Majjhima Bhattibhata. Now I know this is, you know, this is uh, difficult to understand because for some people, because we are, you know, we we can be very attached to to our ideas of how things should be, and and then, and then uh, we're right, you know. It's, but in in that way, in terms of how things should be, if everything was fair and just and so forth, then it should be like that. But when we start ob observing Dhamma, it's, we're, not, we're not talking about how things should be or shouldn't be, or about qualities or quantities, right and wrong, good and bad, true and false, but, or purity or impurity, but being the knowing, the puto observing all conditions are impermanent. That's all, all the thoughts, all the... Uh, the body itself, the sensory experiences we have, uh, our emotional habit, uh, the ideals we hold to, our fears, desires, the dark shadow, the evil side of ourselves, all of it is then seen in terms of anicca dukkanata, all conditions are impermanent. So that is, we call that a then then refuge in Buddha and Dhamma. So Buddha is not an ideal, you know. When we we can idealize Buddha, we can create idols, Buddha rupas, and uh, we can, you know, we can form, you know, put put all project all our best thoughts, most magnanimous views, and and that onto how the Buddha is, you know, the Buddha should be all compassionate, all wise, all knowing, all loving. But then, so that, that can be inspiring for us, but still, that's still coming from the ego, from the thinking mind, it's still conditioning. It's not a judgment, not saying it's bad or wrong, but it is, it is conditioned. And we can be so attached to our ideals that we can't see beyond them. We merely judge ourselves and others in the world we live in from the ideals we have, which are always going to create some sense of something's wrong. <coughs> There's always, a, you know, if one is just bound into the conditioned realm, the samsara, if that's all we know, there's, there's always something wrong with it. There's always a sense of anxiety or fear, isn't it? Fear is a primal emotion we share with all the creatures that are on this planet. This is a fear realm. Survival, isn't it? And, and uh, there's always danger. And then there's birth and death. And there's so many unpredictable possibilities, you know, from tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes, whirlwinds, hurricanes, me meteorites, uh, who knows what, you know, the, this realm we're living in is like this. The conditioned realm is a dangerous realm. It's a frightening realm. 
Because conditioned phenomena is like this. It's not an ideal, it's not, you know, it, it can be beautiful, but then it can also change from being wonderful to being horrible. So in this puto-tamo relationship, then we're observing this. We're not saying, it's not a attachment to some kind of negative view of the world, but knowing the world is the world, so that we're no longer, uh, you know, seeking our refuge in the conditions that are changing. Because it is, uh, you know, hopeless, isn't it, to, to seek stability and safety in that which is basically unstable and unsafe. You know, we have to spend a lot of time deluding ourselves, convincing ourselves that everything is okay. Or that we should live our lives to perfect the world so we have the, the perfect society where everything is what it should be. Everything is fair and just, equal. Everybody's enlightened and kind. And, you know, that's how we should dedicate our lives towards this progressive sense of progress towards reaching some ideal state, some utopia, some paradise where everything is exactly as I want it to be. But if I do that, then, then I, you know, I still, I'm going to be terribly disappointed because that's not Dhamma. That's not the way it is. So when we, you, you know, the w Dhamma is observing the way it is. So when we observe change, all conditions are impermanent. We're not saying that, that anything about impermanence is good or bad, but it, it's something we can observe, change. It's not, it's not projecting that, that it, you know, it's not believing in change or anicca, but actually observing it. You don't have to believe in it because you can observe it. It doesn't take much to observe in anything you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel, is changing. You can't keep it in, 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 in some kind of permanent state. So it's, it's changing from, you know, the moving out of the ignorant, realm of ignorance, avicca, where we do try to, to control, try to force, try to make, try to uh, order the world so that it will move towards how we would like it to be. And then the frustration of that, because inevitably it's going to fail, uh, we lose our control, and, and we've spent our lives trying to, to, do some, to do something that's impossible anyway, because we haven't really awakened or observed or noticed Dhamma. We haven't awakened to the way it is. We've merely operated from ignorance, and maybe with very good intentions and altruistic uh, tendencies, magnanimity and generosity and kindness, 
but still, even with the very best, it still has this this sense of of anxiety, on instability, something to worry, something to to dread in a way, because uh, we all have to eventually meet death. So death is uh, is a result of being born. Now a Buddhist uh, has this uh, this kind of common sense attitude. You know, if you don't die if you've never been born, and it's, uh, and it's uh, so obvious. You don't get old and sick, although those people who've never been born yet aren't getting old or sick yet, or dead or dying. You know so. You know, this sounds absurd. It's just pointing to, to the fact that birth itself is, is the cause of death, of old age sickness and death. So this is reflecting on the law of karma, cause and effect. The conditioned realm is, is cause and effect. What begins ends. What is born dies. And then that's the way it is, you know, this is, it's not, it's not saying that it's right or wrong, good or bad, but it is like this, change, uh, condition, phenomena, whether it's refined or coarse, whatever its quality might be, good or bad, all conditions, uh, you know, that have a, have a big, all conditions have a origin and a cessation. And then, then in uh, Buddha encouraged us to observe this, the arising and ceasing. And we don't have to see it in terms of universal systems because we can't. We, we have to learn from just the, the thoughts and feelings, emotions that we experience in daily life. Just the ordinary uh, changingness that we experience while after birth, after we've been born and we have some interest in uh, the Dhamma, wanting to understand, wanting to, to uh, practice and realize the truth, then this is the, this is the way to do it. Being the, being the knowing, being this Bhutto itself, not, not becoming a Buddha, not about me, Ajahn Sumedho becoming a Buddha, it's, it's much more simple than that. It's about being awake and aware now. So Bhutto isn't about some personal uh, attainment. It's just a reminder of being awake and aware in the present. Then, then the Buddha knows the Dhamma. So this, all conditions are impermanent knows the deathless. There's a knowing, a recognition, reality of the deathless, Nibbana, Anatta. <coughs> so the, there's a knowing, there's a discernment, knowing the conditions are like this. And recognizing this natural state of being aware, pure consciousness, 
being this itself, discerning it, recognizing it, cultivating this, so then we can see, we can observe, we have perspective on the conditions, on our, on our karma, whatever happens, whatever, you know, we, physically or emotionally, mentally, psychically, it's like this. So then, uh, speaking for myself, over 42 years, 43 actually, um, of practicing in this way, is that it is, you know, determination to, this is the whole point, the whole purpose, the only, this is the priority, awakened attention in the present. So it, you know, you have to. I, I've had to remind myself of this because the world does impinge, does intimidate, influence, uh, is very threatening to one's emotions or personal preferences or values, or to the sense of oneself. I hear people always wanting to to find out who they are, wanting to prove themselves or have some strong identity. And, and you know, this wanting to belong, wanting to, to have a, you know, being confused and not certain who you are, what the point of your life is. Uh, and so searching or trying to find something to identify with, some condition, some group, some religion, some cause that will will give me will will give me a sense of myself. But in uh, this practice, it's it's letting go of all that, so that there's no self. So the problem solved. <laughs> Since there isn't any self, you don't need to identify with anything. Now that you can't conceive because the thinking mind is all about self. When I start thinking, then I, then I do, you know, I get back into I am Ajahn Sumedho, uh, 42 years and Buddhist monk and all that kind of stuff. So that is, um, you know, that creates a sense of self if I really believe it. If, if my, the sense of me is my goal in life, then I have to defend myself as, uh, have I lived my life uh, properly? Am I a good bhikkhu? Am I, after 42 years in the monastic order, what have I attained? What have I achieved? Uh, and then it goes on and on into, uh, you know, how, you know, defending or feeling disappointed or Whatever the the ego will will inevitably create some some illusion about myself, me attaining or not attaining or becoming or not having wasted my life or fulfilled my life or whatever. But the the priority has been the awakened attention, not the condition. 
So that whatever way my ego creates, you know, there's a knowing of that. Not, no longer a believing or attachment or an interest in what the ego produces. So I, you know, don't believe anything I think, really. <laughs> uh, I don't trust my emotions. My emotions, uh, they go up and down and just like anyone else's. Praise, I'm happy. Criticize, I'm not. And, and uh, the sun's out, I'm happy. It's gloomy and wet and depressed. I like this and don't like that. I want this and I don't want that. But there's a knowing of, of this ego. It's not getting rid of it or judging it, but knowing it. It is in this uh, category of a fetter sakaya ditti, is like this. And getting to know it so well that it no longer has any ability to delude. You know, so that's where this continuous reflection, you know, I, I want, I don't want, I like, I don't like, is, is this. Listen to it, but I don't believe it. I, uh, you know, I'm not interested in grasping it. So it is uh, the sati sampajanya rem remembering this emptiness, this point, this stillness. that I don't create is not ego, but it's reality, it's real. It's recognized. And here, in this, then, that anxiety disappears. And, and just, uh, I've played around with this for a lot, you know, just going into the Concerns of the world, you know, the concerns of the Sangha, concerns of Amravati, concerns of this and that. And, and then that, going into that realm is like this. And then letting go of that is like this. Which, do, which, is, which is peaceful and which isn't. You know, being concerned, wanting, worrying, caring uh, on that worldly level and losing perspective. There's always a sense of, of anxiety, I, I would use the word anxiety, but something is not quite right. There's always a sense of danger or whatever, and this is, the, this is the world. The world is like this. It is dangerous. It's not because, you know, I can say, you know, I can hold to the view that if I were really an enlightened person, I wouldn't feel that, that the world is a one, it's wonderful world, wonderful life, just like the movie. Life is wonderful, and we should just enjoy it completely which is true but not right, right but not true. 
the conditioned realm, uh, you know, is like this. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it, it can be wonderful, it can be marvelous, and it can be horrible, it can be boring, disappointing, disillusioning, full of hope, expectation, happiness. But we're noting that conditions are impermanent. That which is aware of impermanence, then, is that impermanent. You can't be aware of being aware, you know. So it's not a matter of trying to, to figure out how to be aware, but trusting yourself to just be this way. So the simplicity of the life is, is um, being content, being here and now, and not taking the world so seriously, or the concerns of the world, or the, or oneself, or others. Humor is usually helpful, and. Uh, to deal with uh, being too serious, too concerned, to see the absurdity. Because conditioned phenomena is always takes you to absurdity. You know, so it's meaning that, that, you know, taking oneself seriously as a monk or a nun, it will take you to absurdity. Because <clears throat> it is absurd you know, to identify with it, to, to grasp it. <clears throat> because, uh, you, know, you know, to shave your head and put on this, this robe in a society like this is it's being slightly ridiculous in the terms of the society. It's absurd. And then to seek an identity in the society as a holy man or holy person or a monk or a nun is a bit silly, isn't it? Because the whole point is, is not to increase the sense of self, but to help to let go of the sense of a self. Like I was talking to a Nutico the other day who just disrobed and he said how how wonderful it is to go into a shop now and just be normal person, not, you know, not have stand out in a robe and shaven head and have to be a monk. And go into a, to a restaurant and just be an ordinary bloke. And how, what a relief it is. Because on a personal level, isn't it, this, this, this is, uh, you're always kind of slightly out of touch. You don't fit in. Especially in, in the Western world. So, you know, and I've been through this myself, going into, you know, first coming to live in, in London. You know, having to, in Thailand, of course, you, you're, you kind of, even though you're a foreigner in Thailand, you, you, you find a place in the society. You have a, 
a place of respect in their culture. But uh, coming to London, you know, just the, they say Harry Krishna, skinhead, all these ridiculous words. What are you doing walking around like that? What do you wear that, those bed sheets or curtains or what are they, they what, how they see our robes? <coughs> Schoolboys point and jeer. It's worse on the continent. At least the English are polite about it. They pretend they don't see you usually. <laughs> but, uh, but this also, you know, in terms of the ego, of the sense of myself as a person, it makes me self-conscious. I stand out in the crowd. Isn't it? I slightly look funny, you know, to people that don't understand what it is. I look like some wacky old man. You know, I could be President of the United States. But instead, here I'm a Buddhist monk in England, you know, shaven head, ochre robe. Slightly absurd, isn't it, in, in terms of the society. Now, the, the challenge then is to, you know, is to observe this, the ego, the sense of feeling, feeling self-conscious is like this, or, or wanting to fit in, not wanting to stand out is like this. Not wanting schoolboys to make fun of me is like this. I'm not asking the society to respect me or understand me or for schoolboys to, when I come by, to show proper, get down on the ground and bow to me. I don't expect. <laughs> but <laughs> because, it, it, you know, that's not, I, you know, I wouldn't even want that, but they, the point is how to put the priority is the awareness, not the not to make me feel safe as a personality anymore, as a as an individual or a person. So then, the only way that you can possibly get out of the self and the self consciousness and the sakaya diddy and ego is through this awareness. That's the only exit that I've found. Unless I just, you know, hide away or just, you know, try to control things so I have the least amount of uh, opportunity to feel self-conscious. So then this is, you know, this, this is what I've done. Just, this which is non-self is, is, is the refuge then. In this emptiness, there's no self, there's no monk, there's no Ajahn Sumato, there's no absurdity. It's pure, and yet it's present, it's reality itself. But it's not making any problems, not compounding, not creating anything into it. Pure presence, pure awareness, very simple. <clears throat> but it's not anybody. It's not like, uh, 
I have, you know, if I say I've attained it, that, that's misleading. It's not about attaining or becoming anything. It's just recognizing. Dhamma, seeing Dhamma, rather than seeing oneself always in terms of uh, qualities or relationships, ideas, ideals. <clears throat> Then there's a kind, I notice a kind of a joyfulness in this emptiness. It's, it's, a, it's bright, it's not a dull kind of uh, zombie-like state, it's bright. But then the conditioned realm is so strong, you know, because the nature of the body and the senses, that this, that's why the Buddha emphasized sati, uh, you know, as the way, because awareness, being awake and aware, reminding yourself. Because uh, if we don't, you know, we forget easily because of the strong conditioning and the pull of the conditioned realm, the force of habit, the emotional tendencies we have. There's, they're very strong and very intimidating. And we live in a society where people are. It's a deluded society, so it reinforces this sense of a self, of an individual, separate entity uh, that's judged and criticized according to values, cultural values. <coughs> So this is, you know, to encourage you to, because this is the point of our life. Is uh, to me, this is this is the only. This is the the goal. The, this is the perfection of a human lifetime. Because it is perfect. Where on the condition level, everything is not perfect. Look at this old body, you know, getting stiffer and so forth. It, the body's not getting more perfect through 42 years of monastic life. <laughs> it's getting old just like anyone else. So, I mean, it's, it's perfection isn't in that, in the conditioned realm. But I use the word perfection as, as a reflection, not as a kind of attainment. Because then, you know, when we recognize or awaken and recognize the value of this awakened attention in the present, then it is perfect. Things are what they are. Conditioned phenomena begins and ends, born, is born and dies, that's what it's supposed to do. And then when I forget that and get caught up into my likes and dislikes and preferences, then 
it shouldn't. I don't. I don't want life to be like this. I want it to. I want this, and I don't want that. And I'm disappointed in this, and I hope, and I fear, and I dread, and and I, then I'm back into that realm of anxiety and self-consciousness. Then I remember, stop that. Puto, here and now. Sound of silence. And then the self disappears. Then discerning the self, the self being somebody, then the world in a condition the condition realm is dukkha, it's suffering. And this awareness is non-dukkha, non-suffering. So then, you know, you're discerning, it's not judging, it's not criticizing, it's noticing, observing. So then that sense of cultivating this awareness, you know, is, uh, is like, this is, this is the only, this is what, the only thing worth doing in life. You know, trying to become president of the United States, I'm too old for that, look what happened to McCain. He's a year younger than I am. <coughs> I thought, you don't want to elect a 73-year-old man into the presidency of the United States. It's not, you know, being this old is not, you don't have much energy. And to be president of the United States must take an awful lot of energy, you know, to be a, a focus for the whole world to criticize and make fun of like they do the present president. Uh, I'm glad I'm not in that position. And then being, you know, being 75, it's my 75th year. But that's just a convention, isn't it? That's not a person. It's not, that's just a way of thinking, you know, identity that, that I am 75 years old uh, because, you know, that's, I, you know, it could be sakaditi, or it could be just convention. It is what it is. So if I start, you know, attaching to the, to the, that I am 75 years old, I'm not, I'm not quite 75 years old yet, but getting closer. That is, you know, it is what it is. It's a convention. So it's a seeing it and, and recognizing it. Still, I can talk like this, but it's different than if I actually identified with that perception, grasped that perception. Because the refuge then is, is in the awareness of that, not in the perception of being an old man, 75 years old. That, you know, there's that perception and there's a knowing of that. 
that which is aware of that thought, I'm an old man, is like this. That which is aware is not a perception. And yet it's real, it's reality. I know, you know, it's not making it up. It's not trying to fool myself, you know, playing games with my mind. It's just observing, being this puto, a knowing dhamma, the way it is. Sankho, then sankho is supatipano. This means cultivating this, this emptiness, this way of non-attachment, non-self. The cultivating it then is, is, you know, it doesn't mean, it is not personal anymore. It's just, that's where you recognize this, the value, the, the liberation, the joy of not being anybody, not being anything. But it's not a perception of not being, I don't, you know, create a perception that I'm nobody. That's, that's another delusion. It's a discerning of non-self. This, this uh, stillness, this awareness. Then the sense of a self arises and ceases in it. And so I'm, I'm an old man, it arises and ceases in this. When that perception ceases, there's still this, this stillness, this conscious presence that I don't create, I recognize. And then cultivated is by trusting in it. Keep reminding yourself, no matter what, what, how you're feeling or what's going on in the world, so making that your priority, no matter what happens, good or bad, praise or blame, success or failure, this is, this, this is not, these are not obstructions to the path. Nobody can take this away from you. You know, once, one, once you really appreciate, recognize it, then, you, you know, there's, Nobody even knows about it, so how can they take it away? They can, you know, harm you physically or take away all your property and money and humiliate you, and, but they can't destroy this. Once you have recognized it and trust in it. So it's uh, an awakened within the limitation of this human form, but recognize that this human form is not yours. It's just like the trees or the flowers or anything else, any other form. It is what it is. But this, in this life, you know, we're experiencing consciousness within this limitation of this form. So, and, and it makes life simple. So then we learn from the way we are, from the karma we, we, we have, from the body that we have, from the 
emotional tendencies we, that we have, you know, whatever they are, that, and being aware of it, that's all that's necessary, that's the path. Not the judge of it. When you start judging it, then, then you're back into the self again. You're comparing that somebody, uh, how you should be or shouldn't be, or comparing yourself with somebody else or with some ideal. So then the, the monastic life for me they, is just a very nice way to live. Being a Buddhist monk in England, here at Amaravati, is very nice. You know, it's a, I, you know, it's a simple, honorable way to live that has value to, you know, helps oneself as well as has, has uh, benefits others. <coughs> So it's like we, you know, like the Buddha established the monastic form in order to allow human individuals to live in the society without, you know, without remorse or being caught up in the foolishness of the society, but not kind of spending our time criticizing and rebelling against it, but living within the society we find ourselves in, mindfully. And being alms mendicants, then we're open to, we're dependent upon the people in this society for our basic needs. So our relationship to the society is, is uh, loving kindness and uh, to be you know not to be someone who who uh, complains or demands or endlessly criticizes and causes more problems to the society but offering opportunities for people to to offer requisites and because of that also people become interested in the teaching of the buddha in the dhamma and so then we can share what we've learned with those who ask us. So you can see like Amravati has a, you know, it's a, uh, a lay person couldn't establish a monastery like this. This is what monks and nuns can do. And then, then it is a place where dependent on alms so that people come and, and do that then they benefit, they, they find joy in giving and maybe faith arises in the practice, in meditation. So that our relationship to the society we're in is a, is, is a compassionate one, respectful one.
and we are certainly aware of the foolishness or of the society, you know, not blind to that, but we're not, you know, we're not hating it or criticizing it because it isn't what it should be. We understand it is the way it is. And then this awareness of Dhamma is also ha has its powerful effect on the society. I've often thought, if every if there were no enlightened human beings on this planet, it would be much worse than it is. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it'd be probably horrible, but because there is this potential in human, in humanity, isn't it, for awaken awareness for enlightenment for understanding then this is then this also means that the this realm this sense realm that we're experiencing is then you know is to be understood not to be identified with not to be not to cling to it so see every everything you experience as dhamma you know the way it is and and see you know and and be the knowing of how you feel or like or don't like just to be the knowing of that not becoming somebody who likes or dislikes things but being aware the knower of liking something is this way not liking something is this way <clears throat> and then using everything that happens to you for that because it's not, how much control do we have over you know getting everything we like and uh, you know this is a time you know worldwide and so many kind of dismal predictions and unexpected changes and political uh, and the economy and so forth, overpopulation, pollution, climate change, you name it, there's a lot of threatening, frightening things happening that you hear about. So on a condition level, it's a bit, it's a, you know, pretty, you know, it could be quite a depressing time, anxious or frightening, there's a lot of fear, isn't there? In the, in the human consciousness now, <clears throat> you know, governments use fear a lot, make us frightened. Because fear, once we can, we lose ourselves in fear, where we can be manipulated. You know, uh, tyrannical regimes always, you know, create fear because then they've got control over you. If I can make you afraid of me, then I've got, it, I can control you. Then the, the present age, is it, there's a lot of things to fear, or is it just the change, a natural change of, of this planet, this solar system, this way? You know, and, and is it wrong, or 
our relationship to it is in awareness of it rather than in wanting it or not wanting it to be the way it is. Wanting it to be better than this or not wanting it to be like this. So this is ask yourself which is which is peaceful and which is not. Grasping condition phenomena, is that peaceful? Is that does that bring happiness? Does that bring contentment? Does does that uh, is that the end of anxiety by grasping conditioned phenomena, or not grasping of it? And this is for you to to discern, to know for yourself. So in my own practice, you know, they have you know emotions arise. Wanting, you know, like in the past, wanting uh, something I don't have. Wanting the, the uh, monastery to be peaceful and harmonious. Wanting Amravati, the community here, to be peaceful and harmonious. And then letting go of that desire. Now wanting it to be peaceful and harmonious when it's not. Just observing, wanting it to be something that it doesn't seem to be is like this. And then just observing, the grasping that desire makes me feel anxious and discontented. And then letting go of that desire, being able to see that not wanting it to be like this, let, and see, observing that desire, letting go of it, and that then the anxiety disappears. So it's like discerning it. Which way do I want to be? Do I want to be someone anxious and worried and uh, become controlling? I, you know, I easily get into controlling mode and blaming mode and despairing mode and all that when, when I do that. Or letting go of the world. And so then you, you see for yourself, you know, bhajitang, vaitidapa vinui, to be known for yourself, the, the, the deathless, the non-self. And then really appreciate, affirming it, the, you know, it's, it's this, it's this, rea this is real, this awareness. This is it, nothing special. Like I'm not into some high state of, of concentration. It's not precious and, and dependent upon everything being, you know, nice and peaceful. But it's real, recognizable here and now. And then affirming it, and and, and by that af affirmation of it, and appreciation of it, then 
more and more you incline to that and away from ignorance and attachment to conditions. So uh, I offer this for your reflection for this evening.